Welcome back, Greenies. This is J.P. Gooderham, your host for the Wavecast. You're here with us for episode 11 of our current season. And for any Green Wave fan listening, you know this is a huge week for the program. 3 and one Tulane is going to be headed up to West Point, New York to play the Black Knights of Army. Another 3 and one team, but importantly, both of these programs are now receiving top 25 votes in the AP and coaches poll. It is a huge game for both teams. I think it's going to be one that can really set the trajectory for the rest of the season. And yes, we're going to preview that game just like we always do, but it's not going to be today. This is not a bait and switch. We're actually just going to be doing a bonus episode today talking about a completely different topic. And so if you're interested in the business of college sports or even just the player compensation discussions that have been taking off over the past couple of seasons at least, this should be an episode that you'll enjoy. You may have seen today in the news, I certainly did, that there was a landmark piece of legislation that passed in California and was signed into law last night on the LeBron James show on HBO, and that is the Fair Pay to Play Act. It was an act that was passed in California, but potentially has implications for college teams all across the country. It's been very newsworthy today. It's something that may have scrolled across your headlines, but to be totally frank, I didn't feel like I I knew a lot about it or even how it could impact teams in the AAC or G5, or or anywhere else. And so I felt like this would be a great opportunity to ask some of those questions and just start to learn about how this type of change in California could end up changing the complexion of college sports over the next few years. So I got to bring in an expert. And we're going to be talking to Matt Brown. He's been on the show before. Last time, I believe, when he was promoting his book that looked at different teams that left conferences, and obviously Tulane leaving the SEC was a big one. He was great in that episode, but he does a lot of cool stuff for SB Nation where he's the associate director of brands. And he wrote a piece today about this fair paid to play act. So I thought, who better than him to come on the show and talk about what's going on with this thing and how it might impact uh, schools across the G5. So even if you're not a Tulane fan, I hope you'll uh, enjoy this one and get something out of it. I think we're going to learn a whole lot today. So stick around and stay angry, my friends. All right, folks, making his second appearance in Fear the Wavecast, we have Mr. Matt Brown. He's the Associate Director of College Brands for SB Nation. He published a piece today called What Happens Next After California's Governor Signed a Bill to Pay NCAA Players. You should check it out over in SB Nation. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. So one of the reasons I'm excited to have you, Matt, and, and I'm going to talk about this at the end, but everyone should be subscribed to your newsletter. If if you are a dork like me about the business of college sports or you like talking about issues like realignment and, and what schools are doing with their TV deal, Matt is a, an awesome perspective on a lot of this stuff. What I want to talk to you about today, Matt, you know, the, the topic has been in the news a lot today, and I think some fans haven't totally connected the dots. So starting off, this bill that was signed in California today, the Fair Pay to Play Act. When we're talking about paying players, what kinds of payments would be allowed under this legislation? Yeah, this is a good point because there's a lot of misconceptions about this. California Senate Bill 206, the you know the fair, the, the the bill that was just passed today, does not allow schools to make direct payments to student athletes. Uh, what it allows for in California is for an athlete to be able to monetize their likeness. So if you have a football player at UCLA, hypothetically, once this bill actually goes into effect, which is not until January 1st of 2023, that player could cut a commercial or appear at a high school football camp or go sign some autographs and get paid, and the NCAA wouldn't be able to do anything about it. So this is allowing third parties to be able to pay uh, those students. Um, Right now, there are, I believe, 50 
56 or 58 schools in California that are part of the NCAA, you know, FBS, FCS, D2, D3. My understanding at this point is that this would apply to all of them. Um, we have had other legislation proposed in different states, New York and South Carolina previously, that have included provisions for schools to directly produce, create stipends for players. Um, as, of, as of right now, as of this recording, there are two competing bills being proposed in Florida, um, where it's unclear whether that's going to be a part of it, and it's likely that there's going to be a bill in Michigan within the month. So different states may be taking different approaches, but for what we see in California right now, it's only about third parties. So just to, to make a, a hypothetical here, the future Reggie Bush, should he decide to go to USC, he could cut a commercial for In-N-Out Burger, but he couldn't receive like a million dollar a year contract with USC. That's the, the basics of the bill, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, there's also a few restrictions as to what kinds of companies the student could, could cut a deal with. And, and we can talk more about this a little bit. As the bill stands right now, a student cannot cut a deal with any kind of company that would come into conflict with a currently established deal with the university. So the popular example right now is that if you have a kid who's going to an Under Armour school, he can't then turn around and sign a personal Nike sneaker endorsement deal. Um, most, most big schools have apparel contracts. They also have contracts with national food and beverage distributors, soda pop companies, and a lot of other national brands. So you probably won't see a whole lot of kids hypothetically cutting deals with Coke uh, or with alcohol companies, uh, or with some other national brands. I, I think, as currently set up here, the dominant people that would be able to work with these with the athletes are going to be local companies. So I think one of the things in looking at this that I can't really wrap my head around, and this question comes from Bo on Twitter too, and I think it's a good question. If you're a casual fan looking at this news, California is saying that schools in California must allow their student-athletes to be compensated for their likeness with the restrictions that you bring up, Matt. In what way does that impact schools that are outside of that state, either in the big uh, in the Pac-12 for a school like Utah, or nationally for a school that that isn't in California? What what happens now that we kind of have a a two tiered system, if you will, at least as it stands today? Yeah, and this is the, what the NCAA absolutely wants to avoid, and it's really dangerous, I think, if you are a non-California Pac-12 institution at this point, because what the what the NCAA administrators have been saying at this point is if this bill goes into effect right now and we're not able to negotiate some kind of compromise, um, all these California schools are going to be postseason ineligible. And, and depending on who you talk to, maybe not NCAA members in good standing at all. And if that actually happens, the Pac-12 is not a power conference anymore because you don't get to keep your tier one television deal, which is keeping that entire conference afloat if you don't have Los Angeles, if you don't have the two you know, most marketable programs within that conference, if you are a mid-major program and you're in the Mountain West or the Big West and a, a big chunk of your membership is in California and ineligible, you might not have an automatic NCAA tournament qualifier anymore. Or you, you might not have your own uh, media revenue deal. So if you're a fan who supports this legislation and you're in a state like Washington or Utah or Arizona, a couple of those states have considered this legislation already. You should probably call your state senator and ask, you know, are you, are you planning on proposing something to bring us into compliance? Um, if you are a school that recruits routinely against some of those schools, I think you might want to ask that same question. Because if, if, if this happens, and this is what the NCAA is worried about, would be then 
you know, if you have a kid that is considering San Diego State and maybe a couple of other schools of similar athletic importance, San Diego State is going to have a pretty big advantage uh, in their pitch. You know, you can come here and you could potentially you know, make a couple thousand dollars, if not more, uh, in endorsement deals. And, and I think that's what's, you know, spurring some people in New York and South Carolina and other states to consider similar legislation so they're not left behind. So, you know, the example I was going to bring up is that Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez commented today in the bill and he says, okay, Wisconsin's not going to play California schools anymore. It feels pretty unlikely to me that, that you know, Wisconsin is going to skip the Rose Bowl and go play in the VRBO uh, Citrus Bowl or whatever the case may be. Would you feel like that this, the most likely scenario, and I, I think if I'm not mistaken, the bill would kick in in 2023. Do you feel like if, if you were a betting man, is the most likely scenario that we'll get a nationwide policy on this that that complies with the bill? Or is it that we end up in a system where California schools have to form their own league or be lesser members of the NCAA? What do you think the most likely outcome is as you see it today? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I wrote about this for SBNation.com. I've written about it a couple of times on Extra Points. I think by far the most likely situation we're going to have here is a national compromise. And And Gavin Newsom and a couple of California state senators have even indicated as much. And this was part of the reason that we wanted to have this bill's effective, da- effective date go so far into the future. We want to signify willingness that we, we're willing to talk with the NCAA. You know, right now, there's uh, another working group consisting of a couple of high-profile conference commissioners, university presidents, athletic directors, across all of the NCAA membership, not just Division One, trying to create a new likeness rule rights policy. The, that group is due to issue an update this month in October, um, and they'll, they'll continue to, to make tweaks to that policy. What I think is going to happen is that we're going to have a rule that will allow everybody nationwide to control their likeness, but there will, the marketplace is going to be restricted probably in some powerful ways. That might mean that students are able to you know, enter into endorsement deals, but they're not able to access the money until after graduation. It might mean that the endorsement deals have to go through the school. It might mean that they have some restrictions on what kind of uh, additional restrictions on what kind of companies that they might work with. You know, the, the example here that I like to give is like, I think some colleges are going to be pretty mad if a couple of their players are cutting deals with like vape shops or like sure. yeah. porn studios or, or gam- you know, gambling concerns, you know, some of these things like, you know, and, and you and I, we might have limits like that in our contracts for our day jobs about what we're allowed to do. I have that for SB Nation, but I bargain for that, right? I can, I'm able to negotiate that. Right now, an athlete is not. I think we're going to see something in the future where the NCAA can then go and cling to its abandoned court precedent and say, hey, look, we're still amateurs. These endorsement contracts are somehow tethered to education, even if that's in kind of a frivolous way. But the players are then are still able to get some kind of a check. And I think that's a step in the right direction. So I'm a little outside my depths here, but my understanding of the way, you, I'll put it this way, when you play Madden, you always see the logo of the NFLPA, right? That there's a, there is a organized ability of players to sign on certain agreements and give up likeness rights to allow us to do things like play video games. Do you see a scenario where there could be an organization like that that's bargaining on behalf of the players? Or is this going to be, I am Ed Oliver at Houston and I want to cut a deal with Houston car dealerships. How do you see that playing out? I think it's going to be both. I mean, as soon as this is allowed, certainly there's going to be some kind of, you know, mass EA Sports in particular is going to want to sign some kind of mass deal um, to get the NCAA video game back on track. And that's going to involve compensating literally every player in FBI. 
And that's why I roll my eyes whenever you, you hear some commentators say that, well, you know, only a couple of people actually have, you know, likeness rights worth anything. Like, no. Like, every single player in FBS has likeness rights greater than $0. That, that, that might mean $75 and a copy of NCAA 2023, sure. but that's still greater than zero. So that's going to be part of it. You're also then going to have the Ed Olivers. And I think this is probably a smaller group, but not necessarily just an elite group. There's probably kids at Tulane who I think would be able to do this to cut individual deals. And they may, be, they may decide to hire agents to help them secure those. They may sell their likeness rights to the school. Perhaps, you, you know, maybe Tulane might say, tell you what. Um, I'll buy your likeness rights for eight grand and 12% or whatever we're going to get. And they're going to have a couple of people from the Tulane sports law department trying to negotiate some stuff in town to get you a better deal than you might be able to get by yourself. And maybe that's something that they pitch in recruiting. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a litany of different ways that this might work where everybody's able to get a little bit of money. That's what's going to have to get hashed out over the next couple of years. So Matt, I, I think this is a really good question from our friends over at Underdog Dynasty. And, and I know that we don't know exactly what the future is going to look like in 2020, 2023, if it's going to be national, if it's going to be statewide, but at least on the aspect of likeness rights, when you look at the way a bill like this impacts G5 schools, do you think that it, it's it's all negative in the sense that now the, the big schools with the big boosters can can really flex their muscle in even stronger ways than they do now? Or do you think there is a scenario, and this is what Underdog Dynasty brings up that I think is a good point where somebody might want to go to Houston and be Ed Oliver, where they're the most famous person on their team. How do you see that playing out? Do you have an early feel? Yeah, I, I certainly do not think this is universally negative. I mean, on one, on one hand, we have scholarship limits. So there's a limit already right now for how much more imbalanced recruiting can really be, because it's not like Ohio State could take that many more blue chips, right? Like on, on some level, there have to be some pretty high three-star kids that have to go to G5 programs because there's simply not enough room for, for, among kids who would consider those kind of programs anyway. And I think in the American would be a really great example of programs that have established fan bases. Many of them are in, are in big enough cities where that opportunity is going to present itself. And that's a compelling case if you're Houston or Tulane or even a school in a rural era, area like ECU where um, East Carolina is unquestionably the biggest thing within a 40-minute radius of anything. Um, and where a, a, a high-performing athlete would be considered a, uh, a big-time influencer and be able to say, listen, we may be able to give you commercial opportunities that outstrip that of what you might get at a slightly high, higher-profile program. Could ECU theoretically outbid for a kid who might, be, who might have an NC State offer but might be much lower on the marketability chart? To me, yes, I think, I think that's true. Do I think that that's going to be enough to suddenly get like six more blue-chip kids into – uh, an AAC, you know, um, roster? Probably not, but I, I do think it's possible. The, the nice thing about this is that it puts the it puts the the onus in the hands of boosters rather than the athletic department. We know how much money Tulane or Houston or um, you know UCF has, um, but they might you might have boosters that have more money. So, a couple last questions here, Matt. This has been awesome perspective. Sure. We know the NCAA has been extremely clear that they oppose the state legislation. Is there any option, I, I, at least my perception is that the NCAA would like to keep things the way they are now. If that is the sure. case, do they have any option to pressure a Fresno state to say, we're going to opt out of the, the California le legislation, or is the NCAA forced into dealing with this now that it's state law? They're, they're, they're going to be forced to deal with it. And I have a couple of, of recourse options here. You know, One of them is they could sue. 
And there is a potential argument that this law is unconstitutional. And, and I'm going to dig into this a little bit more here on the, on the extra points. because I think that might be a little bit easier for Prince. But um, there was a case in the early 90s in Nevada that was ruled unconstitutional when the state legislator tried to impose some rules on how the NCAA disciplinary process works. So that there might be an interstate commerce clause um, argument here. Now, the, the problem, though, is that there's probably going to be six or seven states that are going to be pushing this, and the odds that somebody can shop around and find a sympathetic judge, I think, are pretty good. So I'm, I'm not very optimistic that the legal solution is, is the best endgame here. And then you're just hoping to negotiate and get the best deal that you can. And the more schools or the more states sign up and say, we're going to you know, pressure the NCAA on this definition of amateurism, the less leverage the uh, NCAA has. You know, I, I've been saying this, if this first state was Delaware or New Hampshire or some state that doesn't have a whole lot of big athletic brands, I think the NCAA could just muscle them. But the fact that they picked California, which is like the sixth biggest economy in the world and has the Rose Bowl and has the second biggest television market in the country, at that point, like, you don't really have that leverage. You have to play ball. And if one more state signs on, which I think they will, then there's no leverage. Matt, I, I want to close. You brought up something that I wanted to hit on. So you mentioned before that a couple other states were looking at even more aggressive legislation around player compensation, even going so far as for the schools to compensate players. Looking at the legislation today, do you see that other football-heavy states where football plays a role in state politics? I mean, I'm thinking about Texas. I'm thinking about Louisiana. Do you have a sense, are there other ones who are going to jump in the game pretty quickly here? And if so, who are they? Uh, well, be, besides Florida, I, I know that Michigan State, Michigan's Secretary of State is on the record right now as saying, you know, we should probably look into allowing students to control their likeness rights. And obviously that's something that Michigan is going to oppose. That's, that's a pretty big state. I know that there are constituents right now in my home state of, or where I grew up in Ohio uh, that are, are raising this issue. And what makes this a little bit more complicated to predict is that it's, it's really a bipartisan thing. You know, a lot of the, many of the states that are early on in this process are blue states, but, you know, this bill passed California unanimously, and some pretty conservative Republicans voted for it. Uh, at the federal level, one of the more conservative members of the U.S. House, a Republican out of Greensboro, has been the guy who's been pushing this the hardest uh, for some kind of federal legislation. You've got Republicans in Colorado and Washington uh, who have supported this. So certainly I think it is, it is possible if somebody felt like it would imp- help their football programs for you know, somebody in a Louisiana, I-, I think actually Cedric Richmond is one of the co-sponsors of the federal legislation. I think he's the congressman in New Orleans right now. Correct. So sure, like that, that's definitely possible over the next couple of, uh, of months. Matt, I want to thank you again for your time. Seriously, awesome perspective. I know you think a lot about this stuff. Closing thing, like I said, your newsletter is awesome. I, I strongly endorse it, recommend it, whatever you want to say. How can people get uh, subscribed to your newsletter? Yeah, thanks. Um, my newsletter is called Extra Points. It publishes at least twice a week, uh, and it hits all of the off-the-field issues that impact what happens on the field in college football. So you, if you are interested in state politics, if you're interested in sports business, if you're interested in the history of college football, um, these are all things that kind of influence what's going on right now. You can find it at mattbrown.substack.com. You can find it as a pinned tweet on my Twitter bio at at Matt SBN, or you can just Google Extra Points with Matt Brown, uh, and it's going to pop up. It's totally free. Um, and if you are, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably are a dork like me. You're one of my people. Uh, you're probably going to like this. I, <laughs> I end up writing about the American Athletic fairly often. Um, I think you'll find some things in here that are, that are of interest to you.
All right, that's Matt Brown, everyone, and I'll make sure to link that out. Definitely go subscribe to his newsletter. Matt, thank you very much, and have an awesome day, man. Okay, yeah, you too, man. Take it easy. Big thanks again to Matt Brown. He was an awesome guest. Always enjoy having him on. He knows so much about the business side of sports, and I think this is a really interesting issue, and and obviously there's a ton that can change in terms of both legislation, but also how this thing proceeds through the courts, but I just want to get some early perspective on what this might look like for G5 schools. So that is it for today. This is your bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure if you did enjoy it, you can help Fear the Wavecast in one of two ways. The biggest way you can help us, share it. If you can share it on Facebook or retweeting our tweet or sharing it on whatever your two-lane form of choice is or whatever, that stuff is really helpful and helps us grow the audience and continue to bring on great guests. And second, if you've done that, if you don't mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review, we really enjoy that. We have 44 reviews so far. We're at a five-star rating. We have a lot of great comments on there. It helps people discover the show and helps to keep this thing growing so we can keep it rolling here. But like I said before, this is just a bonus episode. I will be back tomorrow, I believe, with our preview of the Army game. So get excited for that too. Stay here, my friends.